Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 107. I sincerely hope everybody's having a great week out there. I hope everybody enjoyed their Labor Day holiday, celebrating the contributions of the working men and women of this country. We have a fantastic interview coming up for you today. Um, We're going to be joined by Dave Kirby of the Belfast Cowboys. And this is an interesting connection that Dave and I made. Dave is a listener of the Drum Shuffle and reached out to me and said, hey, here's a list of guys that I would love to hear interviews with. And we went back and forth via email for, uh, you know, a few days Um, And I was successful in getting some of the folks he recommended for interviews on the show. But as I got to know more about Dave, I was like, hey, man, why don't you come on the show and talk to us? Um, And he he was hesitant at first, to be honest. Um, But I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Dave has a very unique perspective. He's in a great band, does some great drumming, but he's also a very successful businessman. And I think we fail to talk about some of that stuff on this show. And that is a lot of folks do not make their main living from drumming. So I I think this is going to be a good one for everybody. And we'll be joined by Dave right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned in the intro, we're about to be joined by Dave Kirby um, of the Belfast Cowboys. Dave is a drummer that lives up in the 
Minneapolis area of Minnesota. Uh, please forgive me. I, I, I don't remember the exact town that he lives in, but he grew up in the Minneapolis scene, uh, which is a very fertile ground for great music in the United States. I mean, I can name, you know, two dozen wonderful bands that came from that area. Uh, but as I was saying, you know, Dave and I connected uh, via email and started talking. And I thought, man, this is going to be a, a great uh, story to feature. And folks, let me tell you, you're never going to meet a nicer guy than Dave. Uh, seriously, he's doing a lot of great work uh, up in that Minnesota scene with his band, the Belfast Cowboys. If you have not heard of them, they are essentially a Van Morrison tribute and they are fantastic. My first thought was a Van Morrison tribute. It's either going to be wonderful or it's going to be terrible. And I'm very happy to report that his band is fantastic. They do a great job. And uh, Dave has a lot of wonderful insights to offer. And I thought we should share his story here. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Dave Kirby. Hey, Dave, good afternoon. How's it going, man? It's excellent. Great to great to hang out with you. Oh, man, no. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It's always good to, you know, to have, uh, you know, individuals on the drum shuffle who play at a high level. And, and we'll we'll get into your playing, certainly. Uh, but but thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And, you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you, but I kind of got introduced to you during COVID when I was, uh, you know, basically grounded and under house arrest. And um, <laughs> I've kind of done an immersion of your show. So I feel like we've been hanging out together for the last couple of months. <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I've had some guests on the show that that, you know, have kind of made the, the comment, you know, I feel like we've been friends for 30 years, you know, and <laughs> it's weird for me because, you know, I, I guess. I guess you don't ever really realize when you do a podcast or something like this, how many people are actually listening. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of strange. I mean, I, that's one of the cool byproducts of having a show is, you know, people do listen to it, but I kind of do it just for my own edification and joy. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's kind of cool that I, this doesn't pay the bills, so to speak, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, so, um, you know, being a proud Minnesotan, I, you know, I, I want to talk to you a little bit, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but um, I want to talk to you a bit about that great scene up there um, that, that has just been going on for years and years and years. But start us at the beginning. Talk to us a little bit about how you, you know, grew up and how you got into music and drumming to begin with. Yeah, I... Um I was born in 60, so um, actually just turned 60 this year. And um, so my dad is a, was a really great musician. And I, I remember growing up that there was a, um, a clarinet, a saxophone, uh, an upright bass, a trombone, and a bunch of banjos. And my dad could pick up any one of those and make music with them. And so he was really into music. Um, he had played with this regional polka band that were, you know, kind of famous in the area. They have four records out. I actually have them hanging on the wall here in my loft. It's, uh, I was able to score some copies. So uh, everything 
you know, in my childhood was kind of built around, uh, around music and he, you know, sang in a barbershop quartet and just a super talented musical guy. Um, I'm the oldest of five kids. And so I didn't have any older brothers or sisters feeding me popular music. So I was kind of at beholden to whatever my dad was listening to. And, you know, to be honest, when I was a young kid, the dude was kind of a square, you know, it was, <laughs> and I think a lot of it is just, is the byproduct of when he grew up and the music that he grew up on and grew up with. Um, and, you know, in later years, I discovered that really wasn't the case, but, you know, so we're, I always kind of had to listen to whatever he was listening to. And, um, I was always really into the music and always kind of loved the playing drums. My, you know, mom told me I was like a lot of drummers, you know, banging pots and pans in the kitchen and ice cream pails and things like that. And when my dad would, he had this, was in this Dixieland band and whenever they would do any kind of a thing, whether it was just a gathering at somebody's house or a, uh, a thing at the band shell at the park, I would always kind of park myself really close, annoyingly close um, to the drummer. And just, I was just, enthralled and there was this uh guy that lived on the next block who was a drummer and i just remember in the summer whenever i could hear him playing with the windows open i would go park outside of his bedroom window sit in the grass and just listen to him play and uh, actually his mom came out of the house once and asked who i was where i was from (laughs) and what i was doing sitting (laughs) Um, and i remember from time to time you know he had a band and they would play in the garage and there would be, you know, this collection of kids sitting on the concrete uh, in the driveway listening to this. So I really, you know, I felt like I had that, that bug early. And then my, my dad kind of got into, you know, up until this time we had like the gigantic hi-fi console, you know, the all-in-one with, you know, the radio, um, the phonograph, and, you know, room for a hundred albums or like this giant piece of furniture. And he started getting interested in modular equipment. And so there was a guy at the team electronics store that was helping him, you know, select this gear, but they also sold music there. And he had a huge influence on my dad, like got him exposed to a lot of stuff. And I, started noticing and my brothers and sisters and I started noticing like there was stuff creeping into the playlist, like the band. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. The Mamas and the Papas, the nitty gritty dirt band and like just progressively cooler stuff, you know, Chicago, blood, sweat and tears. And then, um, Elton John kind of came into our household and that was, uh, that, you know, that his first record, uh, called 111770. It's a live recording um, in some studio in New York. Uh, it was right before uh, that and Tumbleweed Connection were like the two things that we just played constantly. So I, I was really interested in the drumming. Um, my dad wanted me to get involved in band, and I can't remember if it was the school's rule uh, or if it was my dad's rule that you know, before you play drums, you're going to have to learn another instrument. So he kind of forced me down the trumpet pathway and, um, I did it and absolutely hated it. And, um, <laughs> I think it was like fifth grade or something. Uh, I just, at the end of the year, I said, I, I'm, I'm done with this. I really want to play drums. 
So, you know, I have been doing like babysitting the neighbor kids, mowing lawns, shoveling snow in the winter and uh, had saved up a bunch of money. And I really like, I knew I wanted to be a drummer and I was going to buy drums if it killed me. So like every night or a couple nights a week, I would go through the want ads in the newspaper and look for musical instruments and um, musicians wanted. So I found this drum kit. It was like $110. It was a Kingston uh, red sparkle five piece kit. And uh, I told my dad, I said, I have the money saved up. All I need is I need you to give me a ride there and give me a ride back with the drums. And I think that was when he kind of realized, you know, he's not going away with this. Stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. So well, I, I mean, no, no parent wants to hear I'm going to be a drummer and I've bought a <laughs> drum set. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, the peaceful yeah. home goes away at that point. Right. Yeah. And they were super supportive in, in later years. And, you know, I remember my mom telling me she, it got to the point where she was able to even take a nap while I was practicing because she just became so accustomed to it. Yeah. So, but I got, I got my drum set. I have it set up in my bedroom. I'm playing along with records. And then, um, in the sixth grade, there was this uh, spring talent show and a couple of the guys that I knew who, that I had been in band with that were trumpet players wanted to do, you know, something for the show and they knew I had a drum set. So they wanted me to be their drummer. So I think we did uh, one tin soldier and um, some Herb Alpert and the Tijuana brass song. Nice. So we're, you know, we're practicing, we're doing the thing. And one of the kids, I just remember him saying, you know, my dad is kind of weird, but, um, you know, if you're going to bring all these drums and put them on stage, just make sure you hit everything at least once. Otherwise he's going to want to know why you didn't. <laughs> so, so we're doing the talent show and I played something wildly inappropriate just to make sure I touched all the bases. <laughs> so, <laughs> so weird. Um, and then the next year, you know, talent show again, but I had met this kid who had a bass guitar. There's another kid in the school that played guitar. So we did, House of the Rising Sun at the talent show. And in seventh grade, I talked my way back into the band program. And because I knew I, I really wanted to learn more. I, I wanted to learn how to read music and, you know, like really get some chops down. So talked my way back into the band program. And I remember in eighth grade, this, we had this student teacher from college. He was getting his degree and for the spring concert, he proposed that we do this piece that was, um, is called rock slide and it featured the trombone section, but there was also a place for like a 32 bar drum solo in it. So I had my kit set up in the practice room at the school and, and I basically just started squatting in that room. And so I'd go, go to school early in the morning so I could bang on the drums, stay after the whole thing. And, um, so we're going to do this piece. And he hung with me after school and he said, I'm like, tell me what you're thinking about this 32 bar solo. Um, just play a little bit of what you have on your mind. So I go into full on, you know, as close to Keith moon mode as I ever get, <laughs> um, but just wailing away on everything and, you know, start running out of gas at about bar eight and had pretty much pulled every trick out of the bag halfway through the solo. So 
he stopped me and he said, I just want you to pull that sheet music out of the folder and I just want to look at it with you. So he, I pull this sheet music out of the folder and he just breaks down the whole composition and says, just look at how this is broken into four distinct parts. And, you know, I could see how instrumentation was getting layered in, sections were coming in and kind of the roller coaster of the piece. He said, let's just think about your drum solo the same way. So for the first eight bars, let's just lay a foundation and, he said, I just want you to think like all snare drum and maybe a little bit of hi-hat. And then in the second eight, you're going to do some cymbal crashes, maybe introduce a tom or two, um, but the snare is still going to be home base. And then the third section is going to be all toms. And then that final eight, you just go do what you just played for me. And it, it was a, like, it was a really eye-opening conversation because I learned later that I really didn't, you know, I didn't love reading music, but I loved having kind of that global approach to, you know, how to put the song together, how to put that solo together. So that really, you know, that really opened my eyes. So we do the, do the spring concert. And now I've got, you know, I'm meeting people I've never met because a, that's the kid with the drum solo. And, um, so I get this phone call on a Saturday afternoon and this guy, I knew of him because he was a couple of years older and he was one of the tough kids. Like everybody was afraid of him because he was kind of a fighter. And uh, he calls me on the phone. He said, uh, I heard you're a drummer and uh, we want you to be in our band and uh, we're coming over to practice right now. And like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and my, my dad had, when I was very young, he was a police officer. So he kind of knew everybody in town and he knew like this kid and this kid's older brothers. And I just knew this was, was going to be a bad thing. But before I could even say, you know, I need to talk to my parents about this. Um, the guy hangs the phone up and literally 18 minutes later, they're pulling into my driveway, <laughs> schlepping guitar amps up to my bedroom. And I remember the first first song we played was um walk away by the james gang nice and the second second song we played was uh, mother freedom by bread and we you know went through those and then played a bunch more and it's like yeah this is this is really cool and I, you know this feeling really well every musician does but you know that thing where you get four people in a room that have basically nothing else in common and don't really you know, might not socialize or hang together outside of this context, but, you know, they come from four different places and all of a sudden they're making this thing together. Yeah, this man. Sound yeah. And there's yeah. just nothing, there's nothing like it. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the magic right there. Right. I mean, when you, you know, that first experience you have making, you know, honest to God music with other human beings as a drummer, it, it, I mean, that's the stuff that if we could bottle it up and sell it to everybody else that doesn't have any musical in inclinations, you know, I mean, I've said for years, uh, we would have world peace if everybody could feel sure. that, you know? Um, so so, I mean, obviously you started at a, at a fairly early age, you know, and, and you, um, you know, went through kind of the school band thing. 
Um, you know, and, and you, you dated yourself, so I'm not letting any secrets out here, but you know, you were growing up in that time period where, you know, you mentioned some of the, you know, the, the big influences of the day, but you know, who were some of the other early influences for you? Were you into Zeppelin and, and Aerosmith and the Stones and all that stuff or, or not? I was really, I was really into, um, and I think part of it was just because of the kind of music that my dad listened to. Um, I was always, you know, it, as the oldest child, you learn quickly, like you're responsible for your own behavior, but you're also responsible for your siblings. And so my MO is like the path of least resistance. So what can I bring into this house that my dad is going to appreciate and allow to be played on the stereo? So I was really into like the Eagles, the birds, um, Jackson Brown, um, and then eventually, you know, got more into like, um, stones, Zeppelin, Queen, Aerosmith. Um, and you know, I found real quickly, I loved John Bonham's drumming, like just the visceral thunder of it. Um, but I also found myself really drawn to, um, you know, guys like Russ Conkle, um, Jim Keltner, you know, guys who are just laying it down and letting the band do its thing around it. And I, I really consciously like that was the style of playing that I really, um, wanted to develop. So, you know, I was, we had bands through high school, um, had a, met a lot of great people, but I always, you know, I remember my dad saying at some point, you know, if you just start a band, your friends, their family and people with no musical taste are going to love you just because it's a cool thing to put a band together. But he said, if you really want to do this, you know, you have to think about paying attention to the details, like taking the time to get the beginnings, the endings, the harmonies, like get, get that stuff right. So you can feel good about what you're doing. So, you know, we practice constantly. Um, you know, one of the guys that, that was in the band, I was in, in high school. Um, he's a killer trumpet player. He's made his living. He was in the air force band. Um, he now plays, um, I don't know if you know, uh, the actor Gary Sinise, Oh, sure. Uh, but it hit the Lieutenant, um, Dan band. Yeah. Um, Kirk is the trumpeter in that band and he travels all over the world, um, doing those gigs, but he's also like the first call, guy in Chicago. So, you know, a bunch of years ago, Aretha Franklin came through town. Um, he was called for the gig, um, the temptations. Um, so it was just kind of cool. Somebody I shared a lot of time in the basement with, um, you know, made that, that whole journey and has made a living as a musician his whole, whole life. He does a lot of arranging and, um, composing and things like that. So as we graduated from high school, um, Kirk, the trumpet player and the bass player and I all got an apartment together, but those two were going to college. Um, I had intended to go to college and wanted to either be a band director or an English teacher, but my parents made too much money for me to get funding, but not enough money to pay for me to go to college. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, like great <laughs> dilemma. So I kind of realized if I'm, if I'm going to take a whack at this music thing, this is probably the time 
I should start thinking about make, making a move. And there were two bands that I had set my sights on, and one um, was a band from the area that they were they did like a ballroom circuit, and they would do these dances and come through town and play the local ballroom every month. And I was a huge fan of them for all all my junior high and high school years. And I really wanted like that's the kind of band I want to be in. And then there was another band that I had kept hearing about and everybody I knew who was of drinking age absolutely loved this band. Like they were just wildly popular. So I start, you know, poking around, trying to get to know a little bit more. And the ballroom band decides their drummer was leaving and they, they were going to replace him. And um, somebody I had been in a band with one of the iterations of my high school band um, was cousins with the guy who ran the band. He said, I- I'm going to, I'll see if I can get you an audition. So I go and audition with the guy, I jumped in my car, drove like two hours, um, loaded into his basement, played a bunch of stuff together. And he gave me some feedback and, you know, like we don't always have sound reinforcements. So you got to hit harder, that kind of stuff. And, um, and I ended up not getting the gig and I was really heartbroken about it. Um, but he sent like five days after the, the audition, I got a card in the mail. He just, he said, I really appreciate you, um, you know, coming and auditioning with us. We've decided to go in another direction. Um, we need somebody who can be a lead singer. Um, and I, I knew in my heart, like my drumming wasn't up to what it needed to be for that gig, but it was a really like, it was one of those life lessons. Like, and I, I have been thinking about it a lot as I was thinking about having this conversation with you, like how the thing I remember the most about it is like the guy took the time to say, you didn't get the gig and this is why, but he said, you're a really nice young man and I know you're going to do great things. And it's like, I don't know, just being able to say no, thank you. Um, but do it with grace and yeah. still be kind about it. And, you know, it really had stuck with me for a long time because, you know, there are a lot of situations where it's easy to, you know, not, not be your best self, but, you know, learning how to let give somebody bad news and do it in a, in a gracious way, even if they don't love what you're saying to them, you know, they can, can hear it and still retain their dignity. So yeah. anyway, option one is off the table cause I flunked. So I get wind that this other band is looking for a guy. So I, um, took a tape of a bunch of a cassette of a bunch of stuff of, of recordings of our bands that I had been in high school and went to the club to give it to the guy and said, I heard you're looking for a drummer. Here's a tape of some of the stuff that I'm uh, into. And they were playing at this, there's a club attached to a bowling alley and they hadn't really told the drummer they were getting rid of him. So (laughs) he wanted me to meet me in the bowling alley. So I, I go to meet him at the bowling alley to do the secret handoff of the cassette. Meanwhile, in the club, the drummers got, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Gino Vanelli uh, album, Brother to Brother, but sure. the, the title song has just this unbelievable drum groove and some really cool soloing in there. And, you know, the guy they're about to fire 
it is got that cranked up coming through the monitors and he's playing along with it. And I'm like, Oh wow. You guys should hang on to this dude. So, so they called me back and said, you know, we want to just, we want to come and talk to you. So they came over to my apartment. They were there for 90 minutes. Um, they didn't want to hear me play. We didn't really talk about music. They just wanted to get to know me. They went through my album collection and, you know, just kind of to see what kind of stuff I was listening to. And, you know, really what it came down to is the guy was an excellent drummer, but he was a complete pain in the ass. And they (laughs) they don't, they're like, we're too old for this stuff. So I got the gig basically on, you know, personality and, these guys had been an established band for at least 10 years by the time I joined. Um, and they had been through a lot of versions like horns once upon a time. And then now kind of scaling down. And, um, we went, they sent me some tapes with, uh, the set list and all that kind of stuff and got, I familiarized myself with it. And it's like, yeah, I can play that groove. This will be fine. And, uh, we went to the first gig and we did set up sound check, ran through a couple of songs and started just like rehearsing some things. And I realized really quickly, like these guys play to a, a level that is beyond anything I've ever been involved in. Like, and you know, you talk about the details of here's how it starts. Here's what you have to play on this. Like, I got to feel you. I can't hear you. Um, like, and I just realized I'm playing with pros now and I really, I got to get this together fast. So the bass player and who was also the band leader was also a drummer and he like spent a lot of time with me, said, this is the stuff you got to be able to do. And, um, really took me through it. And, and really I wasn't the right drummer for the gig, but I was the right person for the gig. And he said, I'm going to commit to working with you, but you know, and it's one of those times in life where you just go, Oh, I have to make a decision. Am I going to put my tail between my legs and go home? Or is this going to be an opportunity for me to be teachable and be humble and just take the advice? And I did. And I, I swear, like my drumming improved 50 to 75% in the two years I was with those guys and my employability, um, improved by a hundred percent. They're like, you know, here's, here's what on time is. Um, we're going to rehearse these days every week. Cause in those days, like late seventies, early eighties, especially in the middle of the country, like everybody had live music, every hotel bar had a club and this people kind of joke about the holiday Inn band thing, you know, like the Bill Murray lounge act kind of thing. But the reality is in a lot of these outlying communities, um, the bar at the hotel might be the only live music within 30 or 40 miles. So these places were like packed six nights a week. I mean, Monday night, 200 people in the bar rocking out like they don't have have to work in the morning. So it was like they were working steady. I think I was making like 500 bucks a week at that time, which, you know, in the late seventies for a kid who was 19 or 20 years old was just a boatload of money. Yeah. That's real, Um, real money in those days. Yeah. So, but what was happening when I started to start feeling is, you know, the, the band leader was 10 years older than me and the other two guys were like 15 years older. So, you know, we're working steady and making money, but the hang time 
you know, I don't really have a lot in common with these guys. So, you know, we'd all be kind of doing our things during the day. One guy was traveling in an RV, had his wife and his kid along with him. And, um, you know, it's just, it's like different vibe. And so I started thinking like, I, I want to do something a little more, my speed, my age group, that kind of stuff. So, um, I told him I was going to leave the band. I kind of went back home and, um, just kind of calling around trying to figure out what's available. And then this band came through town, this country rock band, um, they were called Sagebrush and they were like, I, the first time I saw them, I just, I, I was in awe. Like I, just the energy of it, they're it, five guys in the band, but they're carrying their own sound and lights. Um, you know, they were carrying like t- 32, um, par 64s. If you remember those old bikes, like yeah. Yeah. they're hot as blazes. I mean, just, but the whole thing, like the light show, they'd start, they were tying songs together. Um, like you blink and they're 20 minutes into the show. Harmonies are tight, right? And on point. And I just like, I love them as, as a fan. And so I introduced myself, you know, I went and saw them literally every night, got to know the guys a little bit. Um, and their drummer had a hiking accident, fell in a hiking accident and, um, broke a couple of ribs. So he wasn't going to be able to play. So they called me and said, Hey, can you, do you think you could help us out and do, do these gigs? And so I did it. Um, we went and did a bunch of dates and they were doing like, um, you know, three, three nighters. We did some stuff like we opened for, um, Jerry Jock Walker, Ozark Mountain Daredevils, like some stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. Um, Yeah. It was a really, it was a super cool gig. And then, you know, their drummer gets better. Um, and then I think he decided he was going to go do more of like a new wave punky thing. And so they called me up and I was back in the band and, you know, we were doing the touring thing. Uh, and when I say touring, like we're, we've got a modified school bus that we built <laughs> yeah, in and right. that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was super, like, it was really fun and great crowds and great energy. But the, the two brothers that were running the band, you know, one was married and just going to have a baby. The other one wanted to get married and they kind of wanted to go settle in Colorado. And I kind of realized that two, two things were kind of happening. You know, one is I, I realized that if I'm going to do this for a living, my, you know, well-being, my future is tied to and contingent upon being around a bunch of other people that are in the same place as me in life. You know, like you got to have five guys all that sort of want the same thing for it to work out. And I just realized that wasn't happening. And I just, I, it wasn't about the money or the financial security as much as just, I, for the long term, I feel like I'm going to need to do something where I am relying more on myself than on a bunch of other people. And so I told them, you know, when you guys go to Colorado, I'm going to leave um, the band and I'm going to go settle somewhere. So, um, they got a drummer from, uh, from Fargo, North Dakota. And, um, 
he basically gave his, the band he was in, gave them like three days notice that he was leaving. So that band asked me to fill in until they found a drummer. And um, so we were playing, but all localized in town. And I decided I'm going to go to school to, you know, get prepared for whatever the next chapter of Dave is. And I was, had dated this woman who was a hairdresser and um, owned a hair salon. And she said, you know, if you ever get tired of playing music, I think you would really enjoy this. And one of the guys in the band had been a hairdresser before um, he joined the band. So I had kind of heard it from a few people saying, this might be something for you. I really wanted to go to radio broadcasting school. So I settled in uh, Moorhead, Minnesota, which is right across the river from Fargo. Um, most people, when they hear Fargo, they think of the movie <laughs> or they just think yeah. of straight, you know, flyover country. But there was a really, like, late 70s, early 80s, there was a killer music scene. You know, there's three colleges in between those two cities. So really vibrant music scene, a um, lot of clubs to play, a lot of really great players. So... I kind of settled in. I, I wanted to go to radio broadcast school, but it was two hours away. And so I went to school, got my license, became a hairdresser, went to work in a salon. So I'm working during the day, every day, playing every night. And, you know, I just thought there's no reason not to play, but I really wanted to figure out how do I parlay this salon thing into something else. And um, I went and took this business class from this guy who is now my business partner. Um, but he was one of the first guys to teach hairdressers how to make money. Like, how do you take your art and turn it into a great living for yourself and your family? And like, I was hooked and, um, I literally stalked this man until he gave me a job. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, well, and you know, I, I know that you'll be bashful about this, but you know, I don't want to put too fine a point on it. Don't want to steal any of your thunder, but you, you co-own or own one of the largest salon consulting groups in the country. So, you know, you, you yeah. definitely parlayed it into something, right? Yeah, it turned it honestly, it turned into a really great thing. But you know, it was the same thing, Jamie. And, you know, I hear you talk about this all the time on your show, just about, you know, figuring out what you want and being persistent about it. And, you know, I was living in in Moorhead, Minnesota, which is four hours away from the Minneapolis St. Paul area. And this guy's doing these classes every Monday. And so I was getting up at four in the morning, making the four hour drive. Uh, I did, did that like five Mondays in a row and I would just go there and I would hang out. I would take out the trash. I would, you know, pack boxes. I would unpack boxes. I would do anything I could to help out. And around the fourth or fifth week, this guy's wife said, I, I don't think he's going to go away. <laughs> Maybe we should hire him and put him to work. And so, you know, so I, started that gig, left the salon and, um, you know, became a, a trainer and a consultant, you know, teaching business classes. And that, that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last 35 years. And I worked for him for a bunch of years. And then he got an endorsement contract deal, um, with someone. And, uh, so I started my own thing doing basically the same work. And then, um, in uh, like the late nineties, early 
around 2000, he came to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm hooking up with this guy. We're going to do a bunch of seminars, but we're also going to do follow-up consulting. So, you know, people can come and, and, you know, learn everything they need to learn. But then if they want to have somebody come and help them with the implementation, we're going to do that too. And so I got involved when I joined that thing, there was only six, there were six of us in the company today. Um, I think our, we're like 140 people scattered all over the U S and Canada. So, um, it's, you know, it's, it's been a super, super great run and, you know, we're really, it's really meaningful work. It's, and honestly, I feel like it's what I was put on the planet to do. So, you know, for like five or six years when I was getting all of that happening, um, you know, developing that and it's, it's a ton of travel. You know, I think the last five years, I think I've traveled 48 weeks each of those five years. And then I disappear and to Mexico for four weeks in the winter. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's really, it's a grind, but when I got it going, I kind of stopped playing for five or six years. And then I got the itch and wanted to do something, but I, you know, because I was traveling so much for work, I couldn't be in anything that had a lot of regular gigs. And honestly, really what I wanted to do is just make music again. So, um, I met, Terry, who is the lead singer in the Belfast Cowboys, the band I'm in now. And, um, he and this other guy who was a booking agent, um, had this little thing. They were just getting together, making noise. And the drummer that they were hanging out with was, um, going to California to school. So they said, you want to just come and, you know, make noise with us. So, um, I did that. We had this band and we rented rehearsal space and, the four of us would get together every Thursday night and we really didn't play out much. Um, you know, Brian being a booking agent, um, when we did play out, it was always some like super sweet gag. Like we opened for cheap trick once. Oh, um, that's awesome. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We did an opening thing for, uh, Radney Foster when he came through town. And so it was, like those were the kinds of gigs. If we're going to play out, it was that kind of stuff, but it was really about the Thursday night hang. And it, we just created this amazing brotherhood. Like we still have a text um, thread that, you know, we're scattered around different parts of the country now, but we still, you know, it's really recall correctly. Nine 11 happened on a Tuesday. Yes. And that Thursday, you know, we, we kept our Thursday night gig, but everybody arrived. We went in that room. Nobody said a word. Yeah. We all got behind our instruments. We cranked out, um, what's so funny about peace, love and understanding. And then just wailed through like Ken, some replacements, some Neil Young, just loud and aggressive and cathartic and, you know, we got through those first eight or 10 songs and then all four of us are just sobbing in the room, like not only about what had happened, but how healing it was for us to be in that space and just get it all out. And, you know, I just, it's one of the things I love the most about music is that, you know, you're, and it's hard to explain to somebody who isn't 
um, isn't in music. It's like you're closer to the people in that band than you are going to be to anyone else in your life. And it's for no other reason than just that common thread and that common bond of what you create um, when you're together. And so, so we, you know, we're doing the Thursday night thing. We play out a few times. Um, Brian, the, the booking agent, there was a, some kind of a fundraiser um, happening and he was putting together a bunch of bands and everybody had to pick an artist and do like eight or 10 songs of that artist. And we had um, done a bunch of Van Morrison stuff just because um, Terry, the singer, is really, you know, was really into him. So we had a bunch of those in our catalog and we learned a couple of more. And so we went and did that show. That was super fun. And, you know, Brian's booking this local guy, a guy named Martin Zeller, who um, is a singer songwriter. He's also was, um, had a band called the gear daddies, which is uh, a local was a local band here, but they were like kind of the first roots rock alternative uh, country kind of vibe, um, you know, early adopters of that and really popular. Um, but Mar- Martin put together this Neil Diamond tribute just for fun because he loves Neil and it was just a fun thing to do. And, um, you know, Brian said he's, he's doing a ton of these things and they really draw well. Maybe we should think about doing the same thing with a Van Morrison. And, you know, we kind of had the seed was planted and we had thought about it, talked about it, but nothing really happened. And then we decided, and I can't remember how we ran into a couple of horn players um, and had mentioned it and they were all on it. So we decided we would uh, do a Van Morrison um, tribute thing on St. Patrick's Day. This was in 2002. So we do the gig. Uh, it's wildly successful. People loved it. We loved it. And um, so we kind of did some more shows and started building on that. And, um, you know, St. Patrick's Day, it was 18 years um, this year since we started that band. And um, Terry and I are the last two uh, original um members of the band, but everybody else has kind of been in it. Now our core group is like 15 or 17 years. So like the group has been pretty tight. Um, You know, we have backups at every position except for the singer. So, you know, we do a lot of playing and for a long time, it really worked well for me professionally because um, we would, we play the first Saturday of every month um, at a club here um, they're closed now, but, uh, called Lee's liquor lounge. And anybody who hears this who's a national touring musician probably knows of Lee's there. It's a legendary place. Yep. Um, so we were there the first Saturday of every month, another club, the third Saturday of every month. And because those things were so regular, I could schedule my day work. You know, a lot of my stuff would happen on Sundays because salons are closed. So I could kind of work my schedule. So I'd be in town to play. And then, um, those, the leaves got sold. Um, we kind of got off the roster there. The other club closed and we didn't have those regular, you know, preset gigs anymore. We we're still working a lot. So there's the, the guy that had been kind of subbing when I was out of town. And then we have a, a sub group of the big band, um, called St. Dominic's trio that does more, um, like 
three or four piece. They do a Tuesday night gig every, um, every week and, um, just kind of more covers and just pulling stuff out of thin air. And so for a while, the guy who did the Tuesday night thing was subbing for me. And I, now I don't even like to call him a sub. Like he and I straight up share the gig. His name is Dave too. Um, super great guy. Um, we both, we love each other's drumming. We love each other. And it works out great for us to just share the gig. Um, and uh, so I still get to play, you know, I try to play a couple of times a month. Um, if I can, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, super fun. Um, the COVID thing has kind of wiped that stuff out, but we actually played a show a week ago, last, like uh, 10 days ago on Saturday. Um, there's a place that we, a music room that we played that is, um, in an old, uh, multiplex theater and they are created an outdoor stage and they have a huge parking lot and, you know, for a movie theater, like tons of parking spaces. So they figured out how to, you know, set up the stage and the band area in a way where it could be really removed from people and protected. Um, but also you can have a lot of people there and they can all have room to be socially distant. So, you know, we, we did that gig, um, like I said, about 10 days ago. And, you know, when people, come to the venue they bring their own lawn chair um but the the venue gives them a six foot foam uh swimming pool noodle yeah uh, so they so they know how to distance themselves from the other groups and you know obviously groups who come together um are hanging really close together but as an artist it's kind of a weird thing like if you you have to question are we a part of the problem by doing this um but, you know, at the same time, we, we can't all be holed up in our homes forever. And so yeah. we feel like that venue particularly is they're They're making it as safe as it can be. Uh, I think we all agree we're not ready to do indoor shows right now. But, you know, it's a great it felt so good to play because none of us had played for, you know, three months. And we did the sound check. We played two songs. And I told Terry uh, after the after sound check, I said, if they told us the show's called off, pack up your stuff and go home, <laughs> I would be totally satisfied. Like yeah. that's how good it felt to yeah. play those couple of songs. And so, you know, well, I, 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 I think, think it'll always be a part of my life. Y- yeah. And I mean, I think it's a great story that, y- you know, I mean, here, here you are, um, you know, a very successful businessman, but you are still playing at a very high level, which, you know, and, and one of the themes on this show is, you know, not everybody can make a living playing drums. You know, I've always had a, a day career that I call it, you know. Um, the the other issue that I think we're all running into right now, you know, yeah, you can't really do indoor shows, but even if you could, you know, I, down here in my area, it's, hey, if you're going to open up, you can only be at 30% capacity or, or whatever right. the case may be. You know, what musician who's playing for, you know, a guarantee and a, and a cut of the door wants to, <laughs> you know, uh, go play a show where there's only going to be 30% capacity. Nobody wants to do that. So there's just no live music right now. So I'm glad you guys got to do that. And before I forget, I do want to say, you know, you, you graciously, you know, shared some Belfast Cowboys material with me. 
And as I told you, you know, I'm a fan of Van Morrison and I thought, well, you know, how good could it be really, you know, but you guys are really awesome. I mean, it's a really good band and yeah, you know, I would thank you. Yeah, I mean, I would say to folks, if you're into Van Morrison, you need to look up Dave and his group because uh, you guys are incredible. Yeah, it's been. I think part of it is you know we we definitely have a passion for it, and Terry's you know a great he, he mimics Van very well, but we're not trying to copy Van. You know, um, Terry grew up on Stones and Replacements. And that comes out in the way we deliver vans sometimes, you know. So some of the things we kind of rock them up more. Um, some of the things we do a little more true to the records. But, you know, the horn horn section, uh, our main guys have, you know, been playing so long, um, playing this stuff so much. They don't use charts anymore. I mean, we're, we, we all know what the other people are doing. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a fun it's fun to play the music because so many people know about, like he's a, an icon certainly of our generation. Um, uh, but also a lot of people that may only be familiar with the hits, they hear us go deep in the catalog and they hear things and realize, Oh, I've heard that before, but I had no idea it was Van Morrison. Yeah. And so it's really, it's a really satisfying gig because I mean, people love his music and, you know, we throw in, um, you know, like a half dozen or a dozen original songs, but even the stuff that we do that that's original, we're building horn parts for it. So it fits kind of, it's not a jarring, um, you know, like where in the hell did that song come from? It kind of fits into the vibe of what we're doing. And, um, you know, we're, we love like the three hour marathon shows and, you know, we could do two of the, we could do that two nights in a row and not repeat any songs. So, you know, we're, we're pretty deep in, in the catalog and it's, it's super, super fun gig. And it's, you know, to be honest, I mean, I absolutely love what I do for my career. I love, you know, we have a great company, so many wonderful human beings in, in that. It's just, it doesn't feel like work when I'm doing it, but it is nice to have this outlet and, you know, I rent a rehearsal space, um, partly just so if I don't get to play gigs, I still get to play. Um, I'm like an old school. I have five Slingerland kits from the 60s and 70s um, and also uh, a little orphan kit from, you know, pieces of different places. So I kind of need a place to store all yeah. that stuff. Um, but, you know, I just, it's a great, it's a great outlet for, um, you know, a lot of people play golf to relieve stress from their day gig. Um, I like playing drums and it's a, it's a really, it's a, a good thing and a really important part of, of life. You know, it's sad to me to see the arts being diminished and, you know, the lack of support in the school systems. Um, I just feel like we suffer in a lot of ways from that being the case. And so I really love being a part of keeping that alive and, you know, try to support um, other people doing the same. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, I, I, and I, I can't thank you enough for reaching out to me and, you know, I, if you're okay with me sharing it, I'll tell everybody how we got kind of got hooked up. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So this is the kind of guy that Dave is. Dave emailed me 
Um, you know, as I say in every episode, I answer every single email that I get that comes to the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Well, Dave emailed me and said, Hey, you know, I've been listening to the show quite a bit on my walks during all this COVID stuff. He was like, you know, I've been a drummer in Minnesota for many years. Here are three guys that are in the scene up here that you should have on the show, you know, and uh, it, it, it was just a really cool introduction. And as we kind of went back and forth with the email, I was like, Dave, you've got a great story that we should tell on the show. Would you be interested in being a guest? <laughs> you know, so that's kind of how these things happen. Um, but it was your kindness to reach out and say, hey, I really like the show. You know, here are some guys that I can, you know, potentially get you in touch with that you should have on as a guest. And, you yeah, know, and I, I think I even said, I, I'm not trying to get on the show. Yeah, you did. You, you, you got to get these guys. Yeah, you, yeah, you absolutely did. But, you know, I, I thought, you know, hey, here's a guy that's playing at a really high level, but you know, his mortgage payment is not dependent upon having a gig next week. That's a good story for other drummers to hear, I think, you know. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, to me, it's really about everybody figuring out where does drumming fit in your life? You know, is it how you're going to make your living? Do you want to be on the big stage in the stadium? Um, do you want to be in the corner at the BFW on Friday and Saturday night? Or uh, do you just want to have a group of guys that you get together and let out your pent up aggression? Um, you know, as many drummers as there are, I think there are that many ways to do it right. You know, you just have to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and not to put too fine a point on that, you know, Liberty DeVito, uh, who, who we had on the show, the great Lib DeVito, you know, um, who has a book coming out here in j just mere days, which I can't wait to get a, a copy and read. But, you know, he said on this show that by the end of his time with Billy Joel, he was having less fun than the guys that got together on Sunday afternoon and cracked a couple of cold beers and played wipeout for four hours in the basement, yeah. you know? Um, so you do have to find, you know, what groove do you fit into? And I'm, I'm here to tell you right now, keep doing what you're doing because your drumming is great and your band is great. You know, I, you don't have to give up your career to be a drummer and vice versa. You don't have to give up drumming to have a career. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it provides me the balance I need in, in life. Otherwise I would just work all the time. So it's a great, you know, a great outlet and uh, it's a, a fun, fun way to uh, escape. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, l listen, Dave, I, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this and I really do appreciate it. And, you know, it goes without saying, you're welcome here anytime. We can have a cool drummer hang anytime you want to. But, um, you know, it, do you have some way, if anybody has any questions or comments or, or wants to ask, uh, you know, about your business life, do you have a way easily for folks to hook up with you? Yeah, I think, I mean, you can get hip to the Belfast Cowboys thing. It's uh, BelfastCowboys.com. And uh, you can go there, you can see it shows and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I know there's a bunch of music there. And our stuff is available on all the usual places, Spotify, um, iTunes, all that. Um, and then I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram, but I don't really do anything there. 
the easiest way for people to find me is on Facebook. It's just Dave Kirby and there's a bunch of them. Um, but there's a picture. I can't remember exactly what the profile picture is, but it's either me behind a drum kit or it's a picture of a drum kit. So it'll be kind of easy to uh, sort that out. And then from there, um, you know, just reach out to me and if you're a salon person and have questions about any of that stuff, um, you can catch me there and happy to, you know, get you, get you all the help you need or just talk. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, again, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, we'll stay in touch and, and we'll get you back on here before too long. And, you know, one thing we didn't get to is to talk about that just amazing, you know, Minnesota scene. Everybody talks about Minneapolis, but I know there's more to it than that. But so many great artists came out of that scene in your heyday. You know, I mean, I'm talking Soul Asylum. Of course, you've got the great Prince, um, you know, the Jayhawks. Sunvolt has a, uh, a connection to Minneapolis. Just so much good music came out of that area. So we have to have you back to talk about that. Yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a great place to live, and you know people are nice. They support the arts, they support music, and um, you know in this day and age, I think those those are really important things. And you know we all right now just need to kind of tread gently and leave a gentle wake. And um, you know Minneapolis is a place that's really conducive to that. So yeah, for sure. All right, well, Dave, man, thanks again, and we'll talk to you real soon. Okay. My pleasure. Thanks again. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 107 of the Drum Shuffle podcast. I sincerely thank you for tuning in and listening. Uh, We simply can't do this show without each and every one of you doing so each and every week. Um, If you'd like to help the Drum Shuffle, the biggest thing we can ask you to do, share a link with a friend. Tell somebody you know, hey, check out this podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. We really do appreciate you guys helping us to grow through your efforts and your word of mouth uh, recommendations. We sincerely appreciate that. As is always the case, we answer every single email we get here at the Drum Shuffle Podcast. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so at thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can always find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. Hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen in. Leave us a star rating, a review. Uh, Give us a like on Facebook, uh, wherever you're connecting to us from. uh, Let folks know that you enjoy it. That helps us more than you'll ever know. And again, we do sincerely appreciate that. We have some fantastic episodes coming up over the next several weeks. Next week, we are going to be joined by the great Michael Bland. Uh, You're going to be familiar with Michael's work. Uh, with Prince uh, and the new power generation. And Michael is currently um, the drummer of Soul Asylum, one of my all-time favorite bands. And he was one of the individuals that Dave Kirby reached out and said, hey, you should have Michael Bland on the show. And I'm very pleased uh, that we were able to to make that happen. Uh, so you're, you're not going to want to miss some of these episodes. So make sure you've hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of The Drum Show. 
shuffle. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We can't do it without you. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.